And what we believe is that at the heart of who we are as human beings is we are hardwired and designed for human connection. So whether you're black, blue, or purple, like you said, (laughs) you can connect with me on a human level because we're human beings. Welcome to the Your Podcast Mentor Show with Jonathan Jones. Here you will learn how to start, launch, and monetize your podcast. In addition to hearing the latest trends and the latest and greatest things happening in the podcast industry. Are you ready? What's going on, family? And welcome to the Your Podcast Mentor Show, uh, where this is your number one source for podcast news, podcast how-tos, and also interviews. And today, man, t- today is the first time. This is the first time on this show that that we're we're bringing a couple on, and I couldn't think of a more fitting couple uh, to bring on to the show. So today, I want to welcome Mr. Abraham, and I want to welcome Miss Fanny Scully to the Your Podcast Mentor Show. How, how, how are we Hello. doing? How are we doing? Woo, woo. Doing fantastic. <laughs> we're excited to be here. Share. Yes. Uh, in this conversation with you, Jay Jones, um, we're really excited about what we're going to dive into today. Excellent, excellent. So now I want to I want to give you all the opportunity just to give like a snapshot, a little bit about uh, a little bit about who you all are, and you know, then then we can go go ahead and dive in for the people who who haven't met you all as of yet. You want me to go first? No, you can go first. Okay. Um, my name is Fanny. I am a Latina immigrant from Venezuela. I live in the U.S. I'm a mental health professional. Uh, I am an artist. I'm a wife. Um, and I'm just a lover of God and life and of my husband. <laughs> uh, I'm Abraham. Abraham Scully, the founder and CEO of Speaks to Inspire, the mental health solution for young adults suffering in silence. Um, My passion into this work really just comes from my own experience with depression and battling depression in college. And it informs everything that I do as a mental health advocate and um, just creating change in this world, because I, I think it's very important that we start to look at, at mental health as something that we can all talk about. Mm-hmm. Like there shouldn't be any stigma that holds us back from having honest conversations about mental health. So that's what I'm passionate about. And I am um, looking forward to continuing these conversations to create safe spaces to talk about mental health. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The solution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk, talk about it. Talk. We'll, 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 we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll <laughs> he said, "I'm also a podcaster. I love it. I love it. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it." Uh, oh, I'm I'm curious just to hear from you all though. Where where did you all's story start? Mm-hmm. Like like j- just from like take it take us back. Like because you all now are 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 in the space of, of mental health and and is this where y'all met or take take us back? Take bring us in the story. Bring us in. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so Abraham and I met in college. We were both pursuing a degree in psychology. So when we met, we were already on fire about mental health advocacy. And this came from our personal story. So uh, on my side, it came from dealing with undiagnosed um, eating disorders growing up and not having a safe space to talk about what I was going through um, with my family and my culture. Like I said, I'm a Latina, so um, we really didn't talk about mental health, even though I grew up around severe mental illness. So this kind of inspired me to go into this degree. Um, And then we met in college. 
we became best friends. We were like, oh my gosh, I have another person uh, that is on fire about mental health like I do. I'm not the only one. And then here we are, <laughs> married, <laughs> two years later. Um, so yeah, just yeah. kind of snip, snippet. So I, I second everything that she says. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but in terms of us being able to come together and collaborate mm -hmm. and really form a partnership, it started from our individual passions for closing the gap in the space because we recognize from our, our experiences that we weren't the only ones struggling with mental right. health. However, nobody was talking about it, mm -hmm. especially when it came to someone from the black community on uh, which I come from. Um, my parents are actually from Jamaica and they moved to the United States in pursuit of the American dream. And so I come from a Jamaican American household. I come from a Christian family. Um, and then my wife comes from, you know, the Latinx community, right? Yeah. She's born and raised in Venezuela and moved to the United States to pursue an education and a and greater opportunities. And so when we started dealing with our own mental health challenges and we started to see it in our families and in our communities, we were like, yo, nobody's stepping up to have the conversation mm -hmm. and say, this is okay. It's okay to struggle, but it's not okay to get to not get the help that you need. Yeah. And so we both had the passion, but we also had the vision of what this can do in our individual communities mm -hmm. and then in our society as a whole. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's where the partnership came from. And we were like, you know, if nobody else is doing it, yeah, then you we're know, gonna do it. We're we're gonna step up to the plate. Yeah. And and I think as a result of doing that, we've been able to see change in our families, mm -hmm. change in our communities, and change in in the nation yeah. through the impact of our work. Wow, I got that I got the Google <laughs> over here. Talk talk about talk talk about what does it feel like when you begin to see the change in the family? Because typically, you know, the family is like the last to come along. And I'm not saying that that's the case for you all. But what what was the feeling that you all had when you all began to pursue getting further educated around mental health? But then you see the family taking action and follow suit. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly think that is a work in progress <laughs> um, because, you know, eradicating mental health stigma which is our mission is is kind of a a big battle to fight and so it's a work in progress but i think just the little things that we do every day and making sure that we show our our family that they do have a safe space to come to and talk about anything and they're not going to be judged or they're not going to be labeled or anything like that um it has allowed me personally with my parents to now have conversations with my parents about what they are actually feeling. And I'm 24 years old and I, I have never had conversations like that with my parents until maybe the last year. So it's really empowering and, and encouraging to be able to be in a position where I know like mm -hmm. the seeds that we are planting is also impacting the people that we love. And so now they're, they're open to come to us and say, Hey, you know, this is happening, what do I do? And is there help for me? Or maybe they, they know of another family member that is struggling and they immediately think about us. And they think, you know, I have Fanny or Abraham and I know I can come to them 
to open up about this and they're going to be willing to support me in a non-judgmental way. Yeah, that's that's strong. Mm-hmm. And just to add to what Fanny mentioned, not only are we impacting the next generation in our familial structure, mm-hmm. but we are also injecting some of this information and passion into the generation before us, mm-hmm. our parents, our aunties, our uncles, mm-hmm. um, our grandparents in a sense. Yeah. And and what that looks like is, I'll just share a story with you. So I wrote a book called Unlearn the Lies. And in the book, I talk about the seven specific lies that many of us tell ourselves that keep us suffering in silence when it comes to getting support for our mental health. So these are the barriers that we either were fed by community, from our family, from social right. media, from whatever. And we perpetuate these lies and it keeps us stuck. So I wrote this book to highlight these lies and to talk about how we can unlearn these lies. And there was one chapter in the book that's titled, Suicide is the Only Way to End Depression. Suicide is the only way to end depression. And for many people who are depressed and hopeless and feel helpless, they think that suicide is the only option. That's going to give them that freedom, that liberation from the pain. However, the truth is that suicide doesn't end the pain. It just passes it on to the people who are left behind. And so I wrote that chapter because I was in that space at one point in my life. And listen to this, Jonathan, my mom bought my book and she read my book and she said, out of all of the chapters that you wrote about, that was the only one that stuck out for me. And I said, but why mom? She said, because everything you described in that chapter, I was once there. Mm -hmm. And I can share this openly because my mom has shared this openly on a webinar that I invited her to at one point. Um, just to share, right? And so because she said it out loud, I can I can now talk her business because <laughs> yeah. she already did it. But she said the reason why that resonated with me is because I was once suicidal. Like I, I was once battling these thoughts. And as a matter of fact, I almost ended it all and ended the life of my children. But because of the certain the certain circumstances, I didn't make that decision. Mm-hmm. And she said, Abe, if you didn't write that book and articulate that in the way that you did, I don't think I would have ever been able to to say the fact, to to admit that I was once in that position Mm -hmm. and thank God I'm no longer there. And so I share that story just to kind of highlight the impact that the work we are doing and how it is not just affecting the next generation and those who are coming behind us, but it's also like, it's also empowering you know, our, the generations before us to say, yeah. yo, I've been there or um, I know what that feels like and let's talk about it. So we're having these honest conversations and like Fanny mentioned, yeah. it's a work in progress. And so we can't just expect to go deep right out the gate, but we can create the environment so that everyone feels safe yeah. and they know that they're not going to be judged if they open up. Wow, man, that's so, that's so strong because if if nobody ever goes first, then sometimes progress doesn't get right. made. But just just by what what you all are saying, you all are saying it, it's a work in progress. Which which I can I can commend you all saying that because you're showing us that you know that you all have taken some actions, families taking some actions, but we're still growing, we're still evolving. 
man, that's strong though. <laughs> that, that's that, that's that's strong when you when you hear a parent, when you hear yeah. somebody who's that close to you mm-hmm. connect with you on that level, it's different. Yeah. And I think what is so empowering about it, Jonathan, is that for so long, our communities have thought about mental illness as something that happens to other people. It's it's Mm. kind of a white person program, uh, is a a rich people problem, Mm -hmm. right? That's how we see it in the media. That's what we think about it. And I think what is so powerful about the work that we do is that we are bringing a personal voice to mental health. And we're saying, no, this does not happen to just white people or rich people. It happens to everybody. And everybody deserves to experience life, you know, in a joyous way and know that if they are struggling, there is help and you're not alone. And hear this. According to statistics, suicide is the second leading cause of death among young black males ages 18 to, I believe, 30, 35, 35. Mm-hmm. the second leading cause yeah. of death. That's number two. That means, you know, that's, that's higher than like, you like know, the murder arrest, rate, like car accidents, <laughs> like cancer, all of these different car things. Accidents, all this thing. And so what that lets us know is that this is an issue that's happening right in our community, right yeah. in our backyards. Why are we not talking about it? Why are we not doing something and playing an active role in solving this problem. And that's what we do, you know, in our company, in our actions, in our conversations like this, we are the mental health solution for young adults suffering in silence. And every day we wake up with the question of how do we solve the problem today? And, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's a good place to be in because we're constantly learning. We're constantly connecting with the right people so that we can get closer to solving these issues that exist. Wow. So it's one thing to know that that a problem exists. You know, it's it's one thing to see the problem, to complain about the problem, to talk about the problem in your circle. And and then it stay it stays there. Mm-hmm. But man, a- Abraham, as, as, as I looked up man, on social media, I, I see I see y'all, y'all got the tour rolling out. You know, you, you're going on you're doing the speaking speaking tour and everything like that. So so what is it that that you're currently doing and what what is that you and the company? right, are, are currently doing to combat this problem that, that you know about? Yeah, great question. So we work with higher ed institutions, so colleges, universities. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we come into these institutions and organizations and we identify what the support services are for these young adults. So what exists? Like, okay, you are meeting the financial needs of your students. Mm-hmm. You are combating, you know, the lack of motivation or you're, you're creating activities to create um, campus connectedness, different things like that. Um, what are the support services that you have and how are you meeting the needs of student mental health and well-being? Because what we know from the research is that there is a strong correlation between student well-being and student achievement and student success. However, there are many people in higher ed who don't necessarily see that correlation. Mm -hmm. And so they don't develop programming and and opportunities to prioritize student mental health and well-being. So what we do as a company is we come in to this organization 
and we help them to develop mental health programming. We offer consulting services and we we're in the business of developing strategic partnerships. We yes. don't want to just come in and do one and done and say, you know, one size fits all. We want to create a customized program and service to meet the specific needs of that institution. Yes. And so we develop this this partnership that, you know, starts here, but we are looking long terms in terms of how can we continue to not just support your students, but how can we support your staff so that your staff are equipped with the tools to then support your students? Yeah. So what that looks like is workshops um, for students. That looks like training for staff. So staff development. That looks like mental health campaigns on campus, Mm -hmm. um, keynote presentations that looks, it can look different for um, different institutions and whatever their their success outcomes are and their goals are. Um, But we work to really develop that partnership and relationship to identify where they're at, where they want to go, and then how we can um, provide services to meet those needs. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I, th- I think that's really um, I think I think that's really profound. Right. Because, I mean, we, we've all we, we've all been a part of something or seen to where it was a you know, it was a one and done. Right. You you see a speaker come do a great presentation. Oh, man, that was awesome. And then they leave. Uh, but just just some research that, that I've done and just seen on college campuses when people feel like they're a part of a community and when they feel a sense of belongingness then that's when they stay around. That's when they, it's higher graduation rate. And and what you all are doing, I think is so powerful because understanding that if the mental isn't together and, you know, they don't have an understand, they don't have a feeling of belongingness. They don't have uh, the mental type. They don't know what services are available and provided for them around campus. If you don't know you have these things, you're going to suffer in silence. You're not going to tell anybody. But then if you see a mental health campaign going on and then it's like, oh, wow, a campaign was going. Then here's a speaker that follows up with that. Mm. And then you are making yourself available to further nurture and cultivate the relationships. Man, I, I love it. I'm excited, yeah. man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think I think I think that's great work. And um, I, I think that even j- just just what uh, you were hitting on earlier is that in black communities, this is a marginalized population in terms of mental health right. support. And then, and then Fanny, I'm gonna kick it to you and, and, and then just ask in the, in the Latinx community, is this also the case? Is would this also be a marginalized community in terms of mental health and you know how that's- Yes, been? it is. Cause stigma is something that we have very much in common in the Latinx community and the black community in the US. Um, because of the cultural things and the historical backgrounds that we have, we do struggle with this sense of this belief that we have to do things by ourselves, mm. that we kind of have to, you know, this expression of man up, right? That that we have to do things that with by ourselves. And I do think it's, it's to our benefit that we believe that we're capable of overcoming and that we have a strong sense of resilience. But one of the things when it comes to mental health is understanding that we cannot do it by ourselves. And that that having that awareness and education that it is okay for me to struggle and ask for help 
And that shows resilience. Mm. That shows a strong sense of, you know, problem solving. That shows that I'm a strong person. Um, but that can only be changed when we educate people from these communities. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, when they see people from their communities talking about these things. Because, you know, you know, also, Jonathan, as a black man, it's different when we hear somebody say something and we cannot relate with them because we know that they don't understand where we come from. They don't have the same experience. They have not been in my shoes. But when we see somebody that looks like us, that talks like us, that has mm -hmm. the same cultural background or the same racial background, I can see that person and connect with them and relate with them and say, you know, that person understands. Mm -hmm. They understand my mindset. They understand what I've been through. The, the additional challenges that I have to face, you know, as a black woman or a black man in America or as a, you know, Latinx immigrant in the United States. So that makes a tremendous difference as well in those marginalized communities. What's that um that phrase that that you use in the in the talk? The um that feeds into stigma. Oh, there's a there's a saying in in my community um that says is it's kind of alluding to you don't you don't talk about things with strangers. So it says, um, lo que pasa en la casa se queda en la casa. And that basically means like you don't share your personal things with people that are not from your family, from your circle. And <laughs> and when I met Abraham and he shared some of the things that, you know, he believes as well in his community. I was like, "Is it? It's the same thing." And so the black translation is, <laughs> "What happens in this house stays in this stays house." In this house. <laughs> stays in this house. Yeah. Right. And so the those urban dictionary, yeah, <laughs> the urban dictionary translation. <laughs> and and those unfortunately are some of the things that 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 if we don't talk about it, it keeps a lot of our brothers and sisters in these communities suffering, not knowing that they do have the support, you know? That's good. Mm, man. So uh, I, I just want, I just want to do a little, do a little recap of, um, of what you, what you just shared. Cause I, I, don't, I don't want nobody to miss, miss what you, what you really just hit on Fanny. <clears throat> and it just, just the aspect of, of understanding that, Sometimes we we box in. We I'm I'm saying we as my we as the world. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes as the world, we look at certain populations and we say that this belongs to that population. This population will struggle with mental health, not other populations, right? But what I'm hearing you all say, and and as we as we get to this point of when we see somebody who looks like us struggle. And when we see somebody who looks like us be successful in these certain areas, this gives us hope. Yeah. Oh man, that's it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So so you all have a you all have a new workshop, man. Y'all y'all have a new workshop. Talk to talk to us about the new workshop. I'm excited. <laughs> talk to us about the new workshop because y'all y'all about to change the game. I just like I, hey, talk to us. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Ah uh, man, so we're really excited about this because 
uh, we see the need for this conversation and we understand the power of sharing stories. If we go as far back to like the greatest historical book of all time, the Bible, right? We see a clear depiction and articulation of stories Mm -hmm. and how stories changes situations. Stories changes mindset. Stories changes perspective. And what it does is it creates change. So because we understand the power of stories and storytelling, we marry the art of storytelling with mental health education to create change and to walk towards our mission, which is eradicating mental health stigma. So our new workshop, which is amplifying Black and Latinx voices, is doing just that, right? So when we talk about amplifying, we're talking about turn up the sound, right? Like, Mm -hmm. let's recognize that we need to amplify not just Black um, voices, but we need to amplify Latinx voices, right? And when we say voices, we're talking about our stories. We're talking about putting a face and a name to what mental health challenges is, to what mental illness is, to what recovery looks like, to to what being successful um, regarding your mental health looks like so that others can step into the shoes and into the world of Mm -hmm. someone from these communities if they are a support person, but also for the individual who is in in the shoes themselves to see that there is hope. So what what this workshop, you know, what our objective is, is really just to provide a perspective that many people may not have because many people aren't talking about it and then provide some tips, some strategies on how can you support yourself? And then how can someone like, you know, a staff member or a director who is responsible for supporting their students, how can they support their students from these specific communities? I really love it. And here's why. As we as we know that uh, DEI has been, you know, really jumping across just the board in terms of visibility over the past year and a half or so. Right. Mental health, I believe, is slowly starting to creep up and getting some some awareness, some notoriety as well. But I but I believe that with DEI. And I believe with you all in this workshop, I think it pairs so well together Mm -hmm. because people struggle so much in the DEI space because they can't put themselves in the other individual's shoes. They can't empathize with another individual Mm -hmm. because I don't know what you're going through. I I didn't grow up black. I didn't grow white. I didn't grow up purple, whatever, (laughs) right? But, But by you all now showing, cause you all say you're not just working with the students, you're also going in, you're training the staff. Mm-hmm. So now if you, now if the staff, right, takes the training serious, they hold it close to heart and they they allow their heart to be softened and understand that, wow, I was overlooking what Abe was struggling with. I was over, overlooking what Fanny was struggling with. Now they're able to better see. Now their eyes are completely open to what even more struggles are. So I believe what you all are doing is so powerful because I think you all are really opening the gate for which so much more can flow through. Yeah. Just to add to that point, um, what makes what we do unique is that 
what we do is evidence-based, right? What we do, we, we provide the facts, we provide the figures, but we also understand the, the power of stories. And so we use that in order to create change. Everybody can connect with this, a good story. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to ask you right now, mm-hmm. Jay Jones, tell me, tell me, you know, a story, an experience in your life that really impacted your life. You're going to give me a really good story. And it's the same for every individual. Yeah. And what we believe is that at the heart of who we are as human beings is we are hardwired and designed for human connection. Yeah. So whether you're black, blue or purple, like you said, <laughs> you can connect with me on a human level because we're human beings. So what we do is we connect with the human being through a story that resonates with anybody. And then we provide the, the necessary the training, the yeah. necessary education, the facts and the figures in order to really create that effective change. Because um, when, when institutions work with us, they're not just getting, they're not just getting a presentation. They're right. not just getting these slides. They're not just getting this training that you're going to attend one time and forget. You're getting an experience. Yeah. And the reason it's an experience is because it's customized to your specific needs. No institution that we work with gets the same thing. So I just wanted to share that point, too, is like we're very aware of what DEI training looks like in this time. And we want to you know, create some separation because is what is happening right now is it effective is it working if it's not then right we're we're interested in creating solutions so right if we can create separation in order to come up with the solution that's the that's the advantage um that's the perspective we want to take in order to provide that service mm. yeah at one, at one point in my life i you know i i i, I went to grad school i studied a little bit about counseling <laughs> and, and and they have one of those theoretical orientations that they call brief solution focused mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. And I actually talked I did an episode about about it a little bit, but I like I like the fact that you all are not just giving energy and not just giving a presentation, but the aspect like you said that you all are looking at the stats, you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at the information and the data that people are giving you mm-hmm. at that institution. And then from there, you're you're making the decisions based on those metrics, right? Not based on feeling or or anything like that. So I think that I think that's really powerful. And and I also just want to highlight one thing also for the for the listeners out there as well. I love how you all have because you all have taken your stories, right? You all have taken your stories and and you all have turned it into a workshop. Took your stories, turned it into a tour. Took the stories put it in a book, took the stories, started the podcast. And these are things that people need to begin to think more about because your stories are valuable. And there's so, so, so much transformation when you just think, who can I provide a solution for through my story and different things like that. But man, I'm like, like I've said before, I'm proud of you all. I'm excited for you all. Y'all, y'all really gonna shake up the game. I don't know. I don't even know if I don't even know if God has given y'all an inkling yet <laughs> of how much y'all are gonna shake up the game. But I'm trying to tell y'all, y'all about to be the face out <laughs> here for amplifying the black 
in the Latinx voices. And people need people need to see y'all because y'all y'all cool. You know, y'all young. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, to that point, I just want to add, uh, Jonathan, the importance of owning your story and sharing it because that's something mm -hmm. that really resonated with me when I started working with you on creating my podcast is you helped me to realize very early on um, in that process. And yes, there's there's a space to profit from it. Like, yes, there's a space to, to um, spread the message of what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. But one thing you really helped me to, to hone in on and recognize while working with you is the power of my story and the power of like not just owning it, but understanding what it does for other people when I'm behind the mic recording a podcast. And I just want to, you know, reiterate what you just said. Yes, the work that we do is, is critically important, but a lot of what informs our work as well is us owning our own story and our own truth yes. and being willing to share that in an honest, open and transparent way so that it connects with people. So I just want to say thank you, you know, for continuing to encourage uh, me to continue to do that um, as we, you know, as we've been in, in, in relationship and you've been helping us with the podcast. So appreciate you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most, most, most definitely. Most definitely. And if y'all have not tapped in, you need to tap in to Unlearn the Lies, uh, th their podcast, because that man, that, that first episode when you brought Fanny on, <laughs> man, I had to call you. I was like, say, <laughs> I said, say, I don't know if you were aware, um, but, you know, that, you know, the term that they use in, in March Madness and college and everything, when, when there's a, a team that people are like not not necessarily uh, tapping into to the highest potential. It's like that, that. That's what we call like a sleeper team. Right. Or, or the Cinderella team. And I was like. Hey, I said, hey, you might want to bring Fanny on okay, <laughs> full time. <laughs> let, let her come in here. And, you know, you you can sit, you know, you can add your, your insight here and there. Just go ahead and bring her in. Eh? <laughs> and I, I appreciate that so much, Jonathan, because I remember um, when you had that, just that conversation with us, it you know, I was I was just graduating from my master's too in clinical social work. And one of the things in like working with Abraham is a lot of times in the mental health field, like 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 I said before, it's not personalized. But one of the things that I learned and that stuck to me in my degree is that when you work with a mental health professional, they know that you are always the expert of your story because you're living your story. So you are the expert. And that's one of the things that, that we really walk into. And that's why we use our stories and combine it with mental health education. Because as a Latinx woman that is recovering from an eating disorder, I am the expert of my story. And when I walk about it, when I and I talk about it, I am the expert. And that's why people resonate so much with it. Because we own our stories. And we're able to say, this is what I have learned. This is where I'm at right now. These are the things I overcame. And this is why it's so hopeful for you who is, you know, learning to be there or or who is not even aware that you're there. Because a lot of times when we educate people from our communities, they have this like 
like transcendent moments of like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know like that had a name. I just thought that I was just like this. I didn't know that it's actually not normal and I can get help from it and live a better life. And so to to piggyback on Abraham's point, when we own our stories, we free other people so that they're able to own their stories too. So Fanny, I, I, I so I I don't want to brush past this, and and I'm glad that you just you just uh, just gave a, a synopsis of your of your story, just as you shared. So if if there was somebody out there who's listening, and they might be currently in in, in the space to where you know they're they're facing a a, a eating disorder mm-hmm. right now, like what what would what would you tell that person who's like in the yeah. thick of it right now? I would tell them that they're not alone that Mm. it feels like they're alone, but they really are not. Mm -hmm. And that the thoughts stay here in their brain, the negative thoughts are not the truth, and that there is help out there, and that they deserve that help. And to go seek that help, that there are actually support systems and, and organizations and community and resources out there that are willing and happy to come in and give them guidance. And to also be graceful with themselves. Because when you struggle with a mental illness, it is a lifelong condition. And it's something that you can achieve wellness, but it's not something that you can just like stop taking care of. You know, you can't just say like, oh, that's done. I don't struggle with that anymore. Like you have to put time and effort to do something every day for yourself, to take care of yourself to maintain that wellness. So it's knowing that that the support is there, that they deserve it, um, and that they're not alone. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that yeah, that's good. I'll that's just, good. That's good. If I can, I'll just I'll just drop one resource mm-hmm. in there for anyone who is dealing with eating disorders, whether it is eating disorder behavior, so it's like mm-hmm. undiagnosed, yeah, or they have received the diagnosis. Um, there's this association, this organization that provides great resources um, and tools and strategies to kind of navigate that. And it's NEDA.com, NEDA.com. They're, um, they're the National Eating Disorders Association mm-hmm. and um, great resources and even opportunities to connect with a professional if yes. they need that professional support. Yeah, love, love, love that. The, the resources always are, you know, always, I think, essential. Um, and, you know, the more and more resources, yeah. definitely, definitely the better. Definitely the better. And as, as we get ready to land this plane, <laughs> as we get ready to land this plane, I want to want to just hear from y'all. Uh, what how do you all stay recharged working in this space? Because right? <laughs> this the, the, the work that you all do and the stories, you know, that, that you all share and are told. I'm sure at times, you know, you know, they have their they they have their weight. So yeah. how do you stay recharged working in this space? So I'll start. You go? Okay. <laughs> um, I practice what I preach. That's how I do it. Because I I preach prioritize your mental health. Mm-hmm. That's like my main message, you know, at, right after eradicating stigma. It is prioritize your mental health. So what that looks like for me is I make my mental health a priority just like I would exercising, just like I would Mm -hmm. eating, just like I would doing anything else. It's a priority for me. So I see my therapist at least once a month. 
because I got a lot happening. I got a lot going on and I never want to be in a position where I need to talk to my therapist and I don't have that appointment booked. So I already book it in advance once a month. And if I need more sessions, then I do that. Um, I also practice gratitude. So um, making sure that with everything happening, I'm very aware of what gifts God has given me and opportunities mm-hmm. he's placed in my life. Um, another thing is I I have communities and safe spaces mm-hmm. where I can talk about things versus just suppressing my own thoughts, my own feelings and emotions, which is something that I've done for a long period of my life and it yeah. hasn't served me well. So I practice, you know, what I like to call me and my wife like to call like being hot, being honest, open and transparent. And so we practice that daily And that helps us to never be in a position where we have so much bottled up that we break down or we have so much suppressed that we burn out. So we just make sure that um, because we're in this space and we know that that this work can be taxing or draining or difficult at times, we set different parameters ahead of time so that when we do hit those dark seasons, um, we're not we're not devastated by those. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's just like increasing and and nurturing my self-awareness because one of the things I personally struggle with is always wanting to give, 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 give. (laughs) And when you don't have the self-awareness to know when you cannot give anymore. So that that has been a problem for me. So what I do is like I nurture my self-awareness and I tap into my support system. So Abraham mentioned like communities. And when I know that I feel like I'm getting close to a point where I'm like I'm drained or something like that, I tap into my communities and I reach out to people that I love and that I know I have a safe space to talk to and I'm able to talk with them and stuff like that. Um, and that's so interesting that you mentioned that question because it's literally something that I'm going through right now and I'm in that space right now of like, like, I know that I'm getting, getting near a point where like, if I don't take time for myself and to cope with these things, then it's going to get overwhelming. And then I can't give to the people in this mission that I love so much. So it's that self-awareness is, is knowing where you're at so that you know when you need to reach out for help and having those systems in place of like, I know that I have this check-in once a month with my therapist or, or, you know, I also have a specific friend that I know that I can go to, to talk about these things. I'm part of communities, you know, I meditate, exercise and things like that, that are nurturing yourself. When you know you're in in uh, professions that you normally have to give so much of yourself and your energy because you are helping people. Yeah, man, y'all gave y'all gave a little quick master class. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Y'all gave people harder strategies um, to, to to get right. You know, get right, get through, get through the current season that that yeah. they're in, or even to prepare for the the dark season ahead. That you know, a lot of times is is unexpected, mm-hmm. uh, but just realizing that it's not always going to be sunshines yes. and rainbows. Sometimes it rains. Yeah. Sometimes it hails. <laughs> just make sure that you just make sure you're ready and make, make sure you're prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now I, I want y'all just to let people know where they can find you, how they can uh, follow you all, how they can connect with you all, you know, find out more about just, just the work that you all yes. are doing. Yeah. So we are on all social media platforms. Um, just at speaks, uh, the number two inspire. So speaks to inspire. 
We also have a website that kind of gives you a breakdown of what we do and also free resources. And that's speakstoinspire.com. We release a blog once a month. So um, that's great for um, staff to tap into Mm -hmm. in order to develop the the tools and the strategies on how they can support their students. Um, And we also have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that goes out with um, more information on tools and strategies that that higher ed staff can use to support their students. So we have a ton of resources out there and you can just Google speaks to inspire or on any social media platform and you can find out more. Love that. Love that. Yeah, we're going to have all the all the information. Uh, we're going to put that down in the show notes. And then, I mean, y- y- y'all have added so much value to the show. But if there is a final word that you all want to share, like if there's something that's just on your heart and you just want to just give. I mean, like I said before, y'all, y'all have added a lot of value already. But if there is a final word, feel free. I would go back to the point about owning your story mm-hmm. because of how transformational it is not just for the person hearing, but for the person sharing. Yeah. When you sh- when you own your story and share it, you become liberated and you start to be, uh, you start to recognize your superpower. So mm-hmm. I would I would just echo that same advice that Jonathan is always sharing, like own your story, share your story, start a podcast, just like that. <laughs> With the podcast mentor. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Awesome. Um, I would would say, um, for me, just, I love that the conversation that we have about, you know, if anybody's listening and struggling, especially if you're part of the black community or the Latinx community, please hear this. You are not alone and you are loved and you deserve to be healthy and well. And there are a lot of resources for you out there. And we're here to help. So connect with us. Um, and we're happy to direct you to resources. Reach out to a friend. Seek professional help. Because your life matters. And we need you here. Boom. Boom. Family, there, there it is. I, I couldn't couldn't say it better uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Grateful to have to have Abe. And grateful to have uh, Fanny Scully on the show. Uh, and family, you know, everybody out there. Uh, I want to just remind you all that this is the Your Podcast Mentor Show, where we help you establish your platform so that you can profit on purpose from your podcast. Until next time, peace.